Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. Throughout our history, uh, there have been countless uh, revolutions, some of which uh, allowed, unfortunately, the tyranny of evil to take root, and others uh, which pushed forward freedom and human rights and equality for all people. Revolution, it always begins with uh, a countercultural uprising, uh, a movement when everything is moving one direction in thought or in practice or in government or in policy, and someone rises or a group of, of people uh, rise up and push the other direction and, and try to uh, cause a change to the entrenched authority. Uh, those who rise up against them are known as radicals, sometimes known as terrorists. And to their followers, they are hailed as heroes or revolutionaries. And for the past two weeks, we've been exploring the kingdom revolution that Jesus came to establish among us, that he came to overthrow the kingdom of darkness and in its place put his rule, his kingdom, uh, upon humanity. It was the first inauguration of his kingdom, the second uh, coming of his kingdom will come in full at a later time at, at his return. But it was the inauguration, the, the first appearing of his kingdom, so to speak, that Jesus came to establish among us. He spoke about his kingdom often. It's been one of the verses that has pushed us on in our series, Mark 1.15, where Jesus said, the time had come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, our language limits us here on this idea of kingdom of God, because when we hear kingdom, we imagine a plot of land or a, ter- a territory uh, that is being ruled by an individual. But th- the idea of kingdom here is not a physical location, but the rule and the reign of God. The actual word there is, is vasileia. We'll put it on the screen. It actually means the royal authority, the kingship or dominion or rule of God. And so when Jesus said the kingdom of God has come, he is not saying that the physical location of a kingdom has come among you. He's saying the authority of God, the rule of God, has entered in among you. He could have said it like this. The time has come, the basileia, the power and authority of God, the rule and reign of God has come near you. And it came near to them and to us in the person, in the form of Jesus Christ, God putting on flesh, coming among us. And then he spent three years demonstrating what it looks like when the kingdom of God draws near to you. That's why we see him through three years of his ministry, uh, uh, healing the sick and dealing with demonic spirits and releasing the oppressed and speaking worth and value into all people and standing against oppressive powers that control and manipulate. This was the kingdom demonstrated among us. Now, understanding the kingdom message is critical in our understanding of the revolution that Jesus came to ignite. Without understanding this, Christianity becomes one of many religions that eventually will be bent to whatever makes you feel better about yourself. And we've been saying that Jesus never came to establish another religion. First century uh, 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 Rome was heavily polytheistic with all types of gods and goddesses and deities to choose from. Jesus never stepped into that moment to simply offer another religion or another religious experience to choose from. Instead, he called his followers out from among the religious trappings, not to another religion, but to a kingdom revolution, the rule and the reign of God coming among us. And then he said, now you go and take the authority, the kingdom of God, 
among you into the countryside, into the world. You will become a participant of the kingdom message. And that is what's carried on to us today, the revolution. So today we're going to continue looking at the kingdom revolution. In particular, the explosive expansion of the revolution in the early church. We're going to be in the book of Acts today. The growth of the early church is arguably the most re- uh, remarkable sociological experience that, uh, uh, that's ever happened, growth that has ever occurred. In uh, his book, Rodney Starks in The Triumph of Christi- Christianity writes this, speaking of Jesus, he was a teacher and miracle worker who spent nearly all of his brief ministry in the tiny and obscure province of Galilee, often preaching to outdoor gatherings. A few listeners took up his invitation to follow him, and a dozen or so became his devoted disciples. But when he was executed by the Romans, his followers probably numbered no more than several hundred. And that's probably being generous. How was it, that, how was it possible for this obscure Jewish sect to become the largest religion in the world? Today we look at the revolution and the expansion, the growth of the revolution at the hands of those who were big and bold in sharing the message. Join with me as we pray. Lord, as we pray today, would you make the message personal to each one of us? Whatever it is that we need to hear, whatever it is that you need to communicate to us, would you be that? Would you speak that into our lives? Would you help us to push everything aside and and to focus the next 30 minutes on hearing the voice of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us? And would you make us big and bold in the kingdom message that we now carry? Would you stir in us the desire, the passion to carry your truth into a world that needs to hear it? Would you be giving us visions, uh, insight, uh, pictures, even in our mind's eye, of people that we need to take the message to? Would you do that to each one, in each one of us? And Lord, as we give in our offering, let it be a light into our church and into our community as we try to represent you. And the schools that we're reaching into and the lives that we have helped just uh, this week in various ways with financial uh, gifts and also in the financial support and hard work that we've put in over in India, that we would always, locally and abroad, be the hands and feet of Jesus. I pray that for our entire church body. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to be in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, we're going to journey back some 2,000 years. Uh, the, the, the year 30 AD, the city is Jerusalem. The revolution had just been put to rest, or at least the uh, temple authorities had thought so. Uh, 50 days earlier, Jesus was crucified, and his followers were dispersed and running in fear and kind of going underground, unsure what their future held. The temple authorities thought that this Jesus movement had finally come to a close, that his small band of followers would never be heard from again, and so they waited. But the funny thing about being God is death has no hold over you, and we know the story. Three days later, there is a resurrection. And Jesus begins to appear to his believers, his followers again. Acts 1, we'll put on the screen, it says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was now alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and notice what he spoke about, and spoke about the kingdom of God. 
The kingdom was always the primary message of Jesus. And if you miss the kingdom message, you will see Jesus as just the guy on the cross that makes it possible for life after this life. And, 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 and that's not the fullness of his message. Now, we're not downing on the cross because, you know, provides the forgiveness of our sin, but the cross was a vehicle, an instrument that allowed the revolution, that allowed the kingdom of God to take up root over the kingdom of darkness, but the cross in and of itself is not the full message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of dominion of God over all areas of life. And so the temple authorities assumed that it was over, but Jesus comes back and starts with his central message. What better way to demonstrate the kingdom or the authority of God than someone who is dead coming back to life? And so now there's a group of some 120 men and women who are waiting in the upper room in Jerusalem because Jesus said, when, when I leave, ascend into heaven, go into Jerusalem and wait there until the Holy Spirit comes. And so now there's 120 who are waiting. And Jesus says, here's what will happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Acts 1.8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he says, you will be witnesses or you will carry my message, the kingdom message, really, throughout the world. He says, so wait for the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2. This is when the day of Pentecost came. They were all together in one place. And suddenly, the sound of like a, a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the places that they were sitting. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that single moment, ordinary men, ordinary women became transformed into bold, fearless, relentless carriers of the kingdom message. And it rests now upon their backs. This really is the ignition of the early church. Uh, this has started with a community of 120 individuals who were like-minded, who said, we will give our all for the kingdom message and for Jesus, who is our king dedicated to spreading the kingdom message. We said on week one that religion is personal, but a revolution is communal. It's never simply about me. And so 120 people gather together saying, we will affect our world. This is what our attitude should be. That, that your devotion to Jesus is not just about you, but it is us. You and the other service and all the people that call Reveal their home church that as a community... We carry the kingdom message forward. It is what a revolution has always been about. It's never about an individual. It's always about an individual personal relationship that then becomes communal in its expression. And so we see uh, them coming with 120 people flooding into the streets with the same message that God put on flesh and walked among us. They each carrying the same message that, that he talked with us and walked with us and ate with us. And then, he, then they said... And then he died for us. And it was 120 individuals who carried the same message that said it was Jesus who was crucified. But he wasn't crucified 100 miles away. And he wasn't crucified 50 miles away. He was crucified just over that city wall. And really their message was, and you know this to be true, we'll see later, because you were there. You heard it and you saw it. And then they went on to say that it was Jesus was, 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 was crucified not 100 years ago, not even 50 years ago or 10 years ago, but 50 days ago from the time of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit when they flood into the city streets. So they're saying, we're not digging up ancient history here. 50 days ago, Jesus, the Messiah, was crucified right outside that city wall. And you're all uh, 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 testified of it 
because you were there and you saw it. And so they carry out this message. And then Peter has an opportunity to get up and speak. His first sermon, no notes, no preparation. And here's what he says in Acts 2, verses 22 and 23. He gets up and he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. Peter's like, look, I'm not telling you anything you haven't heard or anything you haven't seen. You know what Jesus has done among you. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him And then he goes on to say, but you you may have killed him, but you didn't stop him. In Acts 32, 2.32, he said, and God raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it. In other words, this isn't ancient history. This is 50 days ago. We saw it. We heard it. We experienced him. We're not going back even a year or five years. 50 days ago, he said, something happened among us. And then look what the response is of Peter's boldness. Verse 37. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter's response was, You need to join the revolution. You need to, be, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. Not, not to join another religion, but you will carry the message of the revolution forward. It was the opening day of the church. Literally, the opening day of the church. How, would, how well did it go? Look at Acts 2, verse 41. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people embraced the kingdom message. 3,000 people became not of, of a denomination or of a church building or of a religious order, but part of a kingdom revolution. The kingdom of God drawing near, wiping out the consequences and the power of sin. 120 people rush the streets, empowered with boldness of the Holy Spirit, and the revolution jumps from 120 people to 3,000 people on its opening day. Hey, if you're a business owner, that's a pretty good opening day, right? I mean, 3,000 people on opening, on opening day. So several days later, Peter and John are now walking uh, to the temple, and something strikes their eye. There was a man who was sitting at the gate called Beautiful, it was a very, uh, it was a, uh, well, I mean, a good location if you're uh, a lame man who he, they were about to encounter one, because it was a place of high traffic, and people were passing by, and he would beg, and he lived off the kindness of strangers. And so as they're walking into the temple, there is a man who has been lame from birth, and he calls out to Peter and John, and he asks for money, and Peter gives uh, a very famous response in Acts 3 now, verses 6 through 8. He says, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Everyone knew this man from birth as Leon. That was his name. I'm just making that up. But he was lame Leon. That's, you know, that's who he was. They knew him as lame Leon his entire life. And now lame Leon is suddenly leaping Leon. And for the first time, they're looking at Leon face-to-face, eye-to-eye. Instead of looking down at him, something miraculous just happened. 
It, 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 was, it was the move of God and the power and the authority of God. And now they begin to ask, what happened? How did this occur? I mean, what, what, what takes a man who is lame and now suddenly is walking and leaping and praising God? And it's one thing to tell of Jesus in the city streets, but now they're in the temple courts. And this was a Jewish culture, and, and the Jewish religious leaders, they are the ones who crucified Jesus. And so now you are walking into a den of lions. And people are asking, what happened? And Peter's like, well, I mean, since you asked, I guess I'm going to tell you. And so Peter goes on to tell them exactly what happened. He says, why, why are you so amazed? He said, it was Jesus. And then he says, uh, he says you, you remember Jesus, don't you? He's like, you killed the author of life, but God raised him back from the dead. This was a bold statement, but we said that religion is always passive, but revolution is offensive. He says, you killed the author of life. It doesn't get any more bold than that when you're in the Jewish temple to actually say that kind of truth. Now, when we say that a revolution is offensive, God's not telling you to go out and be a jerk. But the truth can be offensive to people who are hearing it. And Peter's like, look, I, 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 there's no nice way to say this. You killed him. And that's a strong statement. But a revolution is offensive. And while Peter was speaking, uh, they sent guards in to arrest him. We'll be in Acts 4, verses 1 through 4. And the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were greatly disturbed. Why? Because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail the next day. Hey, remember what we said week one? That, that religion uh, is, is safe, but a revolution is risky. And here it is. They were, they were bold in their speaking, and now they find themselves in jail. And they count the cost. So look what happens in verse 4. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So Peter and John are arrested, but before they're arrested, the kingdom message is preached, and over 5,000 men, not counting women, uh, possibly children as well, have now accepted that kingdom message. It is an explosive growth that is taking place. The next morning, uh, Peter and John are brought before the high priest, verse 7. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or by what name do you do this? Peter's like, all right, well, here we go again. He cranks it up. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, again, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, again, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He goes on to say, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Notice the incredible boldness of Peter speaking this message. The next verse, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. If you ever consider yourself an ordinary follower of Jesus, if you consider yourself of someone like myself, of average intelligence and someone who doesn't have all of the spiritual answers, look, look, look what the religious leaders saw. They said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John 
and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The best thing that can happen in your life is to get around Jesus. The best thing that I can offer you, the best thing that our church can offer you, is, is to not just believe in the concept of Jesus, but to actually get around him, to be a follower, to participate, to be in, to be about what he was about. And when that happens, everyone, ordinary people, will begin to look at you and say, I'm not sure what it is, but somehow something's happened within them. And I love that they say, look, these were ordinary men, unschooled, but it was obvious that these men had been around Jesus, would that be all of our testimonies? As we go out into the workplace, when we go into school, when we're around our families, that they would look at us and say, it's obvious Jesus has done something in their lives. The best thing that can happen is that we get around Jesus. He takes ordinary men and women, ordinary youth and children, and empowers them to be and do something extraordinary. And so Peter finishes his talk. The authorities are angry, and now they want to kill him. But too many people saw... Uh, lame Leon, now leaping Leon, and so they know if we kill them,